This is episode 64 of the Movie Maniacs podcast. I'm your host, Noah. And as always, is Patrick Seekin. And we are continuing our Fincher retrospective with The Girl with the Giant Tattoo. And, um, well, that's what we're going to get into today. But first, Patrick, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Doing well. It's a long movie. So I am a little, a little more tired than I expected going into the show. Um, clock said about two hours and 40 minutes, probably the longest venture movie. So, uh, there you go. A little fun fact for you people who are just dying to know what David Fincher's longest movie is. It's a girl with a drag tattoo. And, uh, that's what, that's the big one we're here to talk about today. Um, I got to know, Patrick, before we get into girl with a drag tattoo, what have you seen recently? Um, this week I watched One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And it was great. I mean, it's a classic. I ha- actually hadn't ever seen it before. And I finally just sat down and watched it. And it was really funny, you know, had some good drama moments, great acting all around. Milos Forman is a great director. I love Amadeus. And this is another great one. Mm-hmm. Um, you've seen One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, right? I have only read the book, which I did really like. Uh, no, okay. I have not seen the movie. The book is very good, though. Well, the movie's good as well, so okay. you should check it out. Yeah. That's and then I finished Mindhunter. Oh, yeah. We'll probably have to talk about that at some point. Yeah. Um, I guess for me, I got a big one, Patrick. Real big one. I finally finished Breaking Bad. I know. I'm pretty Ooh. excited myself. I can't believe it. I finished it this week, and uh, I'm still really you know, I'm, I'm still just lost in the kerfuffle. I was really, I've been really been blown away by this show. And um, I think it's a really smart move by Vince Gilligan to like, you know, purposely end the show. Uh, he said that he did not want the show to go too on, too, on too long. And then at some point, you know, lose it, what the streak it had going and, you know, just kind of turn it to um, house of cards. <laughs> um, but uh <laughs> Anyway, I've really enjoyed this show since the first season. It's probably some of the most gripping, you know, entertainment that I've seen, frankly. I, I love it. We've got to talk. I feel like we can just have to break out of the Movie Man's podcast and just do the TV podcast because this is one that I really feel like we should discuss. Um, but I really had a great time watching the show. I thought it ended perfectly. I loved the ending. And then right after I finished... The, the final episode, I watched El Camino, a Breaking Bad movie. And uh, Patrick, you said that I needed to see this before Better Call Saul. So that's what I did. And I watched El Camino. And you know what? It was pretty good. I didn't, I wasn't like crazy about it. Like it definitely wasn't on par with like an, even an average Breaking Bad episode. But I really liked Aaron Paul as Jesse Pinkman. And getting to explore a bit of his character after Breaking Bad. I was all down for, and I thought that Vince Gilligan did a good job directing and writing the movie, even though it definitely doesn't have that little spark that I think Breaking Bad had. It still has some great character moments for this character who I've enjoyed through the course of five seasons. You know, I think Walter White's probably the best character, but Jesse Pinkman's always kind of the personal favorite for me, you know, and getting to explore his character and, you know, kind of the PTSD he has post Breaking Bad. I thought that that was 
really interesting to see. And you probably can't watch this without watching Breaking Bad because there's just so many Easter eggs and references that make this movie special and you just won't understand them without, you know, having seen the show and catching those Easter eggs and appreciating it as a fan. So I watched El Camino and then I also, right after I finished El Camino, started Better Call Saul. I'm just really hopping on the... uh, whatever the the breaking bad universe or whatever you want to call it and better call Saul kind of started a little a little weak for me I wasn't quite hooked into it with the first three even five episodes but I got into about the second half of the first season and started really enjoying it Bob Odenkirk as Saul was great in breaking bad he's great here I'm now on to the second season and I'm still enjoying it. It's a slow burn, uh, kind of like Breaking Bad. I wasn't hooked by the first episode of Breaking Bad. And it took me a few episodes to really get into it and realize that, oh my gosh, this is going to be a great show. And that's kind of how it is going with Better Call Saul. It, it's continuing to impress me more. It's a, it's a little more lighthearted than Breaking Bad was, especially in those last couple of seasons of Breaking Bad, where it's just really heavy with its themes. You know, Bob Odenkirk and his character, Saul Goodman or James, Jimmy McGill or whatever, he's definitely much more of a comedic character in Breaking Bad. And that bit of kind of comedy still shines here, even though, you know, this isn't an outlandish comedy. It it makes you smile more. You have a few more chuckles watching it. It's more of a good time, I think, than Breaking Bad was, even though there are some like really enjoyable moments in Breaking Bad just as, you know, pure fun. Better Call Saul has a, is much more of the fun stuff from Breaking Bad and not quite as heavy as the other stuff was. But I do see that we are kind of heading towards a kind of downward spiral, I'm going to guess, for, uh, for Jimmy McGill, even he, cause, just because I'm noticing how in small ways he's so different from what we saw in Breaking Bad. And so I'm probably guessing, you know, he and here in Better Call Saul, he's much more concerned about the law and all of that. He doesn't want to break the law. And we know that at some point that's going to change because basically Saul Goodman is a lawyer for criminals. So you know at some point he's going to delve off into some illegal territories. And he hasn't really done that yet. So that's been really interesting to me in seeing how this character is going to have this kind of downward spiral into crime we also have Mark Johnson here as Mike, who is kind of like the straight up second lead for this series. He's had a he had a really great episode in the first season. That I thought was really emotionally touching. Like Bob Odenkirk had like two scenes in the whole episode, and it was basically just about Mike. And Mike was a really effective character, I thought, in Breaking Bad. And to see him back at, in a Better Call Saul, I really enjoyed because I think Mark Johnson does a great job at playing the character. And so I'm really enjoying the show so far. It is probably not going to end up being nearly as good as Breaking Bad was just because that was such an just incredible, like, I think, work of art, frankly. So, but not everything has to, you know, be Breaking Bad, just pure art. So I'm enjoying this show for what it is. And I think it's going to continue to get better, which is what I'm seeing so far. So I'm just really excited. I hope I'll, by the time I finish the show, I'll just be waiting for season six and I can just get ready to watch it then. I've never really had a, a show with the exception of Cobra Kai 
that I've really been excited for the season to come out and get ready for each episode. And so I'll be excited for when Better Call Saul comes out. Well, I'll be able to, you know, be waiting for that, I guess, final season. So that'll be really cool to see. So Better Call Saul, El Camino, Breaking Bad. That's it. I've just been watching Vince Gilligan all week. So, and that's been a lot of fun. So if you haven't seen Breaking Bad, definitely watch that. I don't know why you wouldn't have. I don't know why I haven't uh, waited until this long, but um, yeah, it's really worth it. It it does really have a dull moment for me. So there you go. Vince Gilligan has really just my been my hero this week. So there you go. And now um, Patrick, the girl with the giant tattoo. I guess that's what we're here to discuss. And you know, I Patrick, I'd really love to hear what your expectations were going into this. I've I've seen this movie twice before rewatching it. This is my third time seeing it. I originally have already, I've already read the book, The Golden Dragon Tattoo by Stieg Larson, I think. And that was one of my favorite books that I discovered last year. And so, oh my gosh, David Fincher made a movie about this. Um, yes, please. So I watched it and really on my first viewing, I felt like I was probably missing something. So I rewatched it and we'll say, we'll see what my feeling was on rewatch and having more clear thoughts. Um, but this has been a really, this is probably one of the weirdest Fincher movies we're here to discuss. I mean, this just feels so much more different. I feel like than anything he's ever done before, but also it feels most Fincher than anything else. And so that's something that I think is really interesting to see. I mean, this movie did not do well at the box office. Fitch was fresh off the hit, the social network Oscar nominated, did well at the box office. He comes back the next year and has a massive flop. This is meant to be the setup of a trilogy that Stieg Larsson wrote, the Millennium Trilogy. And The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is part one of that. We see in the opening credits teases to what would be two other movies. And David Fincher, Rumi, Rooney Mara, and Daniel Craig, they were all ready to do, I think, the next two installments. But because this movie just did so bad, we totally missed out on that trilogy. And after this, David Fincher goes to the House of Cards. He's done with movies, I feel like, until three years later with Gone Girl. So I'm kind of continuing my little pattern here. I mean, this movie just did not do well. Same with Zodiac, and he kind of bounced back to the social network, which did well, then came back and had a, a massive flop. And so that's what I think is going to be very interesting to see about this movie is whether it or not it deserved it. I think there are signs here as to why this movie was not, did not just break box office or anything like that. It, it really, why it just had such an underwhelming box office gross. I mean, this is a really, really dark, disturbing, ugly movie, probably more so than any feature film we've discussed. And in many ways, it leaves you, for me at least, very impacted, whether positively or negatively by the end, on just how scarring this movie really is, how there's almost no moment of joy and that's not a very, you know, uh, not a movie that audiences right now really do want to see or really even back then. 
I mean, the social network, we pointed out that was a fun movie. It was funny. We laughed. So it had those enjoyable moments. The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, it does not. It is a gross movie in many ways. I'll just, it's on the things characters do, on what happens to them. We're going to get into it. I mean, just the, it's, it's very uncomfortable. And I was kind of dreading this episode, even to just kind of like, great. So now I got to talk about, you know, the rape scene or things like that. You know, just like, this is such a, even a weird movie to even discuss, you know, with your peers or anything like that just because of, you know, how uncomfortable for a conversation it can make. So I, on one hand, I do understand why this movie just didn't sit well with audiences. Critically, it was well-reviewed, just not a lot of people went to go see it. So I think that's going to be a very interesting thing to see as we go through this episode on some of the key things that maybe made this movie not audience-friendly or anything like that. But uh, Patrick, what were your expectations going into this? Because this was your first viewing of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. I really didn't have any specific expectations. I I think I told you in the, in the last episode, I started the Swedish version one time randomly. I'm, I don't really remember why. Um, got pretty bored pretty fast, <laughs> if, I'm on, if I'm being honest, and uh, decided, yeah, I'll deal with that later. Mm-hmm. And then I've seen like one scene at someone else's house like someone's dad was watching a later um, movie from the Millennium series, yeah. I guess, because they've changed actors and done a bunch of stuff. I think it was like the most recent one at that time, mm-hmm. which it was like the girl in the spider's web or something. Um, yeah. And I was like, huh, that seems interesting. Um, but other than that, I didn't really have any expectations. I was kind of just hoping that it would move a little faster than the Swedish version. And that's it. Yeah, I heard of this series from my dad, who is a big fan of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. And, you know, I've kind of, for me, I went book before the movie on this one, which I didn't always do, but it paid off for me because this is a book that I really enjoy. It is, in many ways, I don't think David Fincher makes any direct changes from this source material. He just cuts a whole lot of it. I mean, the, uh, the head of the company that... Um, our main character, Elizabeth Salander, works at. That is a character who we spend a lot of time with in like the first act, quote unquote, of the book. He gets like two scenes in the movie, you know? So I feel like even fans of the book going and wanting to see just a good adaptation of it, in many ways, they could be kind of disappointed because maybe a lot of the things that they love from the book have been exercised here. And it also should be mentioned that just two years ago, in 2009, of this of this movie's by this movie's release date the swedish version the swedish trilogy had just wrapped up so people might have been kind of tired of this of this series you know and i, th- I think sweden was because these movies were a hit over there they were well received and so maybe that maybe people are having a fatigue with this trilogy i do know that a few years later after this movie's release they did a prequel or something to this movie i know that it deals with a lot of this character's past, but I Stieg Larsson only made three novels and then this other author came in and made two. And The Girl in the Spider's Web is based on one of those two novels. And my dad, I, I asked him, I haven't seen The Girl in the Spider's Web. I haven't seen any of the Sweden movies. I asked him if he thought it was, any, if it was better than the David Fincher film. And he said that he didn't really know, but I've heard that they're so different and that, 
the girl in the spider's web lose that kicks more butt in that movie she's much more of a an, kind of an action star and from what we see in this take that isn't necessarily that anything that I would really want to see because I don't I think that this movie does such a good job of subverting the the expectations of a female lead and um with with that I, that just doesn't sound as interesting to me it seems like it it's not what Steve Larson probably had designed for this series so that is kind of a little strange to me but I haven't seen the movie it may be great I've heard it's not but you know, I'd be willing to give it a shot just because I do like the source material. I did pick up the second book for this series um, in January and kind of got about halfway through and kind of just put it down for a minute because it wasn't, it didn't have some of the great character stuff for Elizabeth as I had hoped for. So I haven't really come back to the book yet. I probably will at some point in the near future cap off this trilogy and and just read the Steve Larson novels just because I have so much respect for the work that he did here. I really would recommend that book. It is just as dirty, you know, as what he, as this movie is, but it still is, I think, some very effective character writing and a mystery writing. I and mean, this is kind of a whodunit. I, I drew a lot of parallels to Knives Out, another Daniel Craig mystery movie, where, what is it? This is like the, we look at, it's the nephew or whatever. <laughs> He's the killer. It's the same in Knives Out, dang it. So I think Ryan Johnson might be a fan of Girls Jacket too because this big mansion, Daniel Craig it co comes in and he's got to solve this mystery. He brings in some help from this female character, you know? So I'm just kind of seeing some Knives Out vibes here. <laughs> They're and plumbers in it yeah christopher Plummer and vibe they're not similar at all but i think i see some script similarities here um but anyway but putting all that aside let's get into the movie i do think that this opening scene i really picked up on my on my third viewing it really does show a lot of the themes i feel like that this movie is going to show later on down the line just the themes of hopelessness and just desperate i really do feel like when it's what well, i guess christopher Plummer's birthday because that's when he gets these uh these flower painting or these flower pictures and you know you could see just by the phone call this has happened probably a dozen times before and you just feel like there's nothing that they could really do about it and I think it does set up this feeling of hopelessness and desperateness that this movie is going to carry on for a long time. These, in case you haven't picked up on it, listeners, not very cheery themes. This is what you really got to prep for. You really got to get ready because this is not one that you can just have on in the background. It's, it's very, very heavy. You can't even bring, I don't even think you can really bring friends over for this one. This, this would be a weird one. Like, hey, yeah, let's you know all well you go to drag tattoo everyone let's have a party and then you know you sit down and it's just this desperate um uh, movie with just hopelessness for its themes you know and so i think it already sets up that this is a movie that is really going to have a, some really dark themes even darker than something we've probably already seen in the future before even with even with seven i even think there were some like nervous chuckles we got out of that and in in some ways you could really just connect and we had really 
good, solid characters who were upstanding and could do the right thing who as our leads, particularly with Brad Pitt. Here, though, we're already, I, I'm already feeling, you know, if we flash forward a, a few months prior, that I'm in for something so different from anything I've seen from David Fincher before. Yeah, I mean, the ending of Seven was pretty crushing, though. <laughs> yes, it, it was. Brightness. It had some brightness along the way, but that brightness really only serves to kind of like have, you know, let the audience have further to fall <laughs> yeah, when it's all, yeah. when the rugs pulled out from under them. Yeah, definitely. And I'm really just saying that kind of as a comparison, like if, if I'm over here saying that this movie, is, like Seven looked like a happy film, well then, you know, <laughs> you kind of, you know you're kind of in for something pretty, pretty dark here, but I will say, I think this really does set the mystery very well here as well as we're seeing these paintings and all that, or these pictures, sorry. You do want to see what comes next. And I think it's already serves as a good tease for what's to come. And then, Patrick, we get our opening credits for the movie. And, oh boy. Um, you know, we didn't talk about the opening credits for Seven either. But those were probably some of the best opening credits to me with the Nine Inch Nails song in the background and the pictures from John Doe's diary and his house all over the place, you know. I really did love some of the imagery and the music put together for that opening credits and seven. I think David Fincher is really good at his opening credits. Even Panic Room, which is kind of one of the more mediocre ones of the of this Fincher retrospective, I thought that had a really cool opening credits. I think Zodiac did. And I also think that, you know, even maybe even Alien 3, I don't even remember Alien 3's credits, but, you know, I think I might have had something good going on there too. I think Fitch is just very good at doing opening credits. And I think he's topped himself here. I love the opening credits of this movie right off the bat. My first true bit of praise here. We got Trent Reznor coming back, always a plus in my book. And uh, we got him doing a, a redo, or I don't know what you call these, but he's doing his own version of the, yeah, he's doing his own version of the immigrant song and makes it something, I think, so much darker, so much more electronic and metal, very Nine Inch Nails. And boom, I, I this makes me, just the imagery that's going on here as well, I think just like, you know, I think this was like all just CGI and all that. I think this is great stuff. I, I really... It instantly hooks me. I want to see how this mood is going to carry on later on in the film. I think the music's great. It's one of my favorite Trent Reznor pieces. There are teases here that are going to go on later in the trilogy. Some imagery here we see with like a wasp and with all a bunch of other stuff. This is going to tease into the later trilogy that we never get. But I still think that it works. It's just some really creepy imagery here. I just, I really do love this opening credits. If I had to name like top five opening credits, this would probably be in there just because I just love the music. I love the imagery. And I think even the font, Fitcher's really good with like fonts too for his films. And even the font here, there's something just so cold and heartless about it. I really do just want to see what's going to happen next year, how this mood's going to carry on this in this environment and I just want to hear more Trent Reznor music because I think he does a great job here doing this media of the immigrant song I really do like what he's doing here I like what Fincher's doing here this is just I think all together and just every category and opening credits could have with its with its 
atmosphere, its music, its its style for an imagery. I think this gets an instant just a plus here. I really do love the opening credits this theme. I think they're fantastic. Yeah, I thought the opening credits were a highlight. I think the bleak and kind of unbalanced atmosphere that they bring is very palpable. It was funny, the shot right after the opening credits is just kind of like Daniel Craig walking in a hallway. Mm -hmm. And it's it's just kind of like a very average shot, you know? Like it, yeah. it seemed like if they went from the opening scene to kind of like a normal-ish opening credits sequence and then to that scene, it, would, it wouldn't have the same um, atmosphere, I guess, mm -hmm. that this movie brings with the opening credits scene. It brings a lot to your investment early on and I mean yeah credit to Trent Reznor for that also credit to Karen O okay mm -hmm. great voice on Karen O it's funny I actually don't even know her really from the yeah yeah yes I don't listen to them but I know her from Pinky's Dream off of uh, <laughs> David Lynch's Crown, Clown Crazy Time album or something yeah so um, but she's great on both of these songs mm -hmm. and uh, yeah uh, the imagery the imagery is really over the top here and really mm. cool. I, I like the animation and everything. Like, I I mean, the graphics are awesome. Yeah, I do think it looks really good. And like you said, we transition right into, you know, just more despair, hopelessness. Daniel Craig just got beat in court. He's in trouble. He's 600,000 Swedish currency in debt. I don't know what Swedish currency is, but... um. I do think they filmed on location here. You could feel it. I do think that just you know Daniel Craig walking through these buildings, going through Sweden. I do think it looks good. I think Daniel Craig does a good job here. I don't think that he's really kind of stretching his acting chops here. I really think he's just kind of playing Daniel Craig. But I feel like Daniel Craig is very similar to the Mikhail Blomkowitz we get in the book. So I do think that it is good casting. And, you know, I like Daniel Craig, you know, I think he's a really good actor. We talked about him with Bond. He's not returning here. And I think he does a good job here. He, I do think, you know, when he's probably not the most, he's probably the most normal performance of the whole movie when we have, you know, Stone, Skarsgård, and, you know, even Christopher Plummer feels like he's got a little bit more energy, I feel like, than Daniel Craig does here. But I like Craig. I like his charm. He does, I think, fit in with this environment very well. And I'm going to go back to praise the people Fincher gets for his, um, clothing and, and costume design because I do think that that just the, just the costume design with every character in this movie looks very good even with Daniel Craig kind of having that normal type of foggy suit and all that I do think that the, I am picking up on the costume design here as well I think it looks very good and you know just kind of see how he's going through Sweden and all that I'm enjoying seeing him go through the millennium or the new newspapers and then we get robin wright who fitcher would use later in house of cards and she's great in that i think you know something that also is really interesting here is that we get like robin wright i think who's a pretty big actress for this kind of like a couple scenes you know maybe a few maybe four she's not in it a whole lot but she would be later on in the rest of the series fitcher gets some we there's so many i think name drops here that we, that we would see later on in the, in the trilogy that Fincher's setting up here, certain characters that would come back. And so I do think that possibly, just because he probably spent so much money getting Robin Wright, 
that probably doesn't help in the box office just because she's in it so little and it maybe didn't pan out really, but he did get her in House of Cards and she's great in that. So if, if this is how he met, he realized that she was what he was going to use for House of Cards, then I'm totally down for this. Um, but yeah, I do think Daniel Craig does a good job here. And him, like I said, him going through Sweden, I think Sweden looks good here the way Fincher's directing it. So I am enjoying this, this first opening scenes with, with Daniel Craig just kind of seeing his hopelessness here as he's kind of trapped. He doesn't know what to do. The media is surrounding him. I do think that this this first act that we get here does deal with kind of the way media portrays this 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 character, this reporter, and how closely your actions are monitored. I did like I did like some of those themes that were there for just a little bit. They don't continue into the film very long, but I did like what Fincher is doing there with just how how closely it feels like Mikhail's being watched here and even just every movement he's making here is just kind of noted you know and how we, we talk later with Robin Wright on him going out to this island is kind of seen as an act of escape as the white flag and fleeing and um, I do think that with this how we're seeing the media so close to him I thought that that was interesting to see as well yeah it's um this scene is one that I saw in the Swedish version, and it's already moving a lot faster. Mm -hmm. David Fincher's got the pace a lot better, so um, I was happy with that. Daniel Craig and Robin Wright, they both seem to be doing like a kind of a Swedish accent, not like a fully committed Swedish accent, just like some little flourishes, which this might just be a personal pet peeve of mine, but I feel like if you're doing a movie that would be in a country's native tongue in English. I don't think there's any reason to do an accent because for people <laughs> watching that movie in the native tongue, there wouldn't be an accent, right? Because they would be native. So if we're doing it in English, we don't need an accent. We need to feel like, you know, these are related, relatable people, I guess. I don't know, not that accents are bad. Do you see my point? I, I get know. it. Yeah, you should watch Chernobyl it, because nobody gets an accent for that for that little mini series. Stone Scarsgard's like, I'm not doing a German accent, and he just does whatever what Stone Scarsgard <laughs> does, and it's great. But yeah, I do get what I you're saying. That, see, I think that Daniel Craig had an accent necessarily. I did get Robin Wright. I do get Rooney Mars accent later on. I think Stone Scarsgard mm -hmm. is from Sweden, so his accent is yeah, just he's kind from of from around there. Yeah, it's <laughs> fine. So I'm not really concerned about him. Stone Scarsgard could do Stone Scarsgard, um, but I do get what you're saying. Stone Robin Scarsgard Wright, doesn't really have much of an accent, though. That's what's funny. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Robin Wright. I do get what you're saying. I don't feel like she does fully commit to the accent here. It kind of drops out in a few moments, and you know that's just kind of what I think most when people are trying to portray accents and all that but it just kind of I don't really feel like we've ever like had an actor who's just like kept an accent throughout the whole movie that they're having to to do as part of their performance I feel like they just have to drop it it seems every once in a while I didn't think Daniel Craig had an accent at all I thought it was like I'm not doing this a Swedish accent I'm gonna do Daniel Craig and so I do feel like he just kind of has this normal Daniel Craig voice he might I he might throw in a bit of kind of a, a Swedish slur there but I, for me, I really noticed that Robin Wright was doing it more than I think any of the other cast. I don't think Christopher Plummer bothered. I did note that Rudy Marr did as well, though it feels such mm -hmm. more part of her character than Robin Wright does. So that was kind of weird. I liked yeah. Robin Wright, though. I do think I think she's a very good actress, you know, since Forrest Gump, which I really did like her. I know Patrick didn't like that movie. 
I think that she was good for Skunk, though. And I've liked her ever since, like I said, in House of Cards. I think she does a good job here as well, even though she's not in it a whole lot. I do like the chemistry between Daniel Craig and and her in these, these first few scenes. I think that they instantly kind of click together very well when she visits him later on on the island. I thought that that worked very well as as well when they're discussing business and all that it felt just as good so i do think that their chemistry here is well done as also so i am that is also working for me even if the swedish accents are a little weird i think some of, more of the, the smaller casts are the ones who are able to do it kind of like frode or whatever like he just kind of pops in and i don't know this actor who plays as frode so when he comes in i just don't really notice that he's even changing his accent as far as i know this is just a guy who is you know, prop might even be doing his own act. His this is his true accent. You know, so I think when these are actors that we know, that it, it is it kind of takes you back a little bit more with the accents. But I do think that Robin Wright probably had kind of the weakest accent, even though it didn't probably didn't. I don't I don't know if this is a pet peeve for me as much as it is for you, Patrick. But I do get what you're saying. I don't I don't think the accent is really bad. It just doesn't make sense to me why there's an accent, <laughs> especially when. It's, it, it it might have been more jarring because like you said, like I agree, Christopher Plummer is not doing an accent at all. Daniel Craig's accent is not as strong as, uh, oh, what's her name? A uh, Robin Wright's accent. And then Rooney Mara's accent is like kind of in the middle and cuts yeah. in and out, you know? It's just, it's just how the variety that's going on is what's jarring. Not really any, any one person's accent isn't that bad if it was more consistent. Um, but I agree, the chemistry is really good. And Robin Wright's performance is pretty good too. I'm not saying mm -hmm. she's not delivering yeah. here. It was just, it was just something that I was like a little, what's what what is the decision here? Like it seems like that <laughs> should have been something Fincher said, you know, all right, we're doing no accents, you know, just talk normally, or we're all gonna do this level, you know, and kind of mm -hmm. like orchestrate that a little more. But um, but yeah, the they, they're delivering the plot points really well and moving the story along. And honestly, that's already a little better than the Swedish version, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. What I am noticing, though, and I was I completely forgot about this, but I was rewatching it last night. This like first act, these scenes are short. I mean, they like come in like there's barely a scene that lasts like 30 seconds. Like Daniel Craig just comes in. What are you looking at? five seconds, you know, and it's just, it's done, you know, and that is probably something that's going to take a lot of people back. I've never seen editing like that before. Most of the movies I see the editing lingers, you know, Tarantino, Stanley Kubrick, they like to linger. And David Fincher here is not lingering. He's cutting, you know, there's really two stories here that are, we got Daniel Craig, Rudy Mara here. They're going to, they're going to meet in the middle I think pretty much the halfway point, and then by the end of the movie, they're going to separate. And so that is kind of, we're bouncing back from those two performances. And let's get to Rooney Mara because I think she, she's comes in, she's got a great introduction. I feel the guy who's playing this, this company owner or this manager, I, I forgot his name, but I do think he kind of the dialogue here that how he's describing her, that does kind of, build the suspense on what Rudy Mara is going to do here. And when she comes in, I mean, we, Patrick, we talked about Rudy Mara last week. My gosh, I mean, almost unrecognizable here. There are moments where I do see Rudy Mara from the social network, but for the most part, 
I, I can't recognize you. I'm going to put my cards out on the table here as far as this performance because this is one of my favorite performances by an actress. Not necessarily the best, but one of my favorites just because I, it's very, it reminds me a lot of Paul Dano from Prisoners on just, it's such a, a weird, unique performance. There's no way they're going to nominate this person for an Oscar, but it's, it's so skilled. It's so well done. I really do like Rooney Mara's performance here a whole lot. The, the design, the, the, the makeup, the earrings, all of it, just, it, it fits in perfectly with this character. It feels she like she's right off of the page from the Steve Larson book. I just really do love what she does here. For me, what I love is I don't, I'm not in, in love with this performance when she's talking. It's more about when she's not and just looking at her face. That's when all the acting comes in for me. I mean, she speaks less than she, than she does actual talking in this movie. I mean, it's less talking and more just sitting in the moment, especially when we go to this, this guardian or whatever he is here. It's more about her, it's, her responses aren't, aren't what matter. It's about what she looks like when, he, when he's talking to her and just how kind of slumped over she does look. But there is something behind her eyes where you know that she could snap real quick and probably if she wanted to destroy this man's life, whether it's through hacking or what she does later, and we'll get into that. But I do really like this performance here just because of what's not said. And that's what I love about Fincher here. It's about what isn't being said. And that's what's something that Stanley Kubrick does really great, does a great job with as well. It's not about the dialogue. It's about what they're not saying, what they're keeping to themselves and how they're choosing not to respond to the questions or, or to statements or anything like that. That's what I really do love about this performance. And it's one of those things that it's, it's, it's a certain type of acting and a certain type of directing that isn't going to get nominated just because that's not what the Academy ever looks for. But I really, I love this performance here. And I haven't seen Rudy Mara in anything else really but The Social Network, A Ghost Story, which she wasn't a big standout, like a, a big, had a standout role in. And this, and this is probably my favorite performance of hers. I really do just love this, the performance here. It's what I think one of the best things about this movie is Rudy Mara. And, uh, you know, Daniel Craig is played Daniel Craig. This is completely different from what we've seen Rooney Mara done, or done in the past on Social Network. And, you know, having watched that movie last week, I, it, it was just really startling to see her here. And I think it's great. I really do like watching Rooney Mara in this movie. Yeah, her transformation in this movie is really cool physically. Like, this is my last comparison to the Swedish version because I stopped watching after the scene. <laughs> but when... The, when uh, Elizabeth walks in in the Swedish version the first sense that you get from her is like oh this is an actress and they cut her hair and put her in black clothes and stuck some earrings in her face and like mm -hmm. oh okay well this is gonna take some getting used to you know but mm -hmm. here you don't feel that at all even though I don't know if uh, Rooney Mara is higher profile than Numi Rapace maybe a little bit I feel like but even, even so, maybe I'm wrong anyway, but she <laughs> definitely like disappears into this role immediately. Like, and like, I've seen people like this on the street, like you can mm -hmm. not on the street, but you know, like <laughs> oh, yeah, at the, the mall or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like at the mall, you know, in, yeah. in like the food court, you know? So it's very realistic and it doesn't come across as an actor putting on this, mm -hmm. um, this character or even this, uh, lifestyle i guess yeah. this, this more gothic uh look it doesn't seem fabricated even though it is which is yeah. very impressive 
yeah, you really don't see Rudy Marr here, and it doesn't really feel like, oh, yeah, like you said, we're sticking earrings and putting dark eyeshadow on her and, you know, punk rock hair and whatever. It didn't really feel like that. It just, it feels like a completely new character we haven't seen before, and I, I'm going to really praise David Fincher here because this really does feel like Lizbeth from the book, which I really did like her in that book, and I really just love this character. I think, like I said, what isn't being said is what's the most important, and well, I don't think we just, I don't think we've ever had a character like this before. I, I can't think of any character that reminds me of Lizbeth or anything like that. She feels so unique here. And I'm going to ask you, Patrick, who's the lead for this movie? Daniel Craig is listed first, but the kind of the, the arc that goes full circle here for Lizbeth here is definitely much more proud of the film. While we do kind of start with Daniel Craig, we, end with her and i think a much more powerful and noticeable note who do you who do you think the main character is for this movie um i don't know it's kind of like beauty and the beast like who's the main character in beauty and the beast is it bell or is it the beast yeah it is it is what do you think i think for me though i mikhail probably gets the most amount of screen time but i do think that liz beth is yeah, I, I think Lizbeth is the character who stands out the most to me. She's the one who I think has, you know, the powerful arc. And not, and it's not just because of even the performance or this, the way the, the makeup and the hairstyle and all that. It's really just because she has an, an actual, like, of a, a full-on arc here. You know, while Daniel Craig is just kind of going through the story, he solves the mystery. And, you know, then he's kind of done. <laughs> he's done. He, you know, he goes off with Robin Wright. And then, you know, when we get kind of flashing a little too forward to the end, we just, we see Lizbeth there just watching and she just rides off. And like I said, it's what's about not being said that she just says nothing, throws the jacket into the garbage and just drives off. Like for me, that's what I'm picking up more in the end. I'm not thinking, oh, Daniel Craig, he's with Robin right now. I'm thinking, oh, Rooney Mara just got the door shut in front of her. And now she, once again, she's on her own and the bit of happiness that she was having is gone now and that's what leaves me so like i think really cold but in a good way i'm gonna say with this ending is that it's really just adds so much to the spirit with her character and she's the character who i who i'm paying the most attention to in the scenes and also just because i think that as far as writing goes i think she's the most well-written character and just because of how different she is from any other i think she's a female lead i would say i mean she's not going to get nominated if she did get nominated it's not her best supporting actress she's definitely a lead of the movie here it's just which one you know daniel craig's listed first so i guess that that means that he is kind of the, the lead lead of the movie but he she's definitely one of the leading actors here and i do like i i'm enjoying the mystery here like when mikhail goes to christopher Plummer, like i i do enjoy that stuff and that's all cool. I do love a good whodunit. But when we're going to Rooney Mara as well, I'm appreciating the character moments, not necessarily the story. Like we do see that she is kind of investigating what is from on her own a little bit. But as far as that isn't very interesting to me, but I am, I'm just really liking seeing Rooney Mara act here. And I'm really just enjoying watching this character at work here. So on one hand, I'm enjoying the story with Mikkel, but I'm enjoying the character with Lizbeth. So with those two different kind of storylines that are moving through the movie, they both have strong points in different ways. 
Yeah, I agree. And I think personally, I was more engaged by the character of Lisbeth mm -hmm. and the story that Mikhail was going through. Yes. So I agree. For me, I was more interested in the girl with the dragon tattoo than this dude. <laughs> this dude with a coat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And even though I do think this is a cool mystery to 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 study and all that, it is kind of confusing. I definitely kind of forgot certain character names here, but that's probably the thing I'm going to run into this episode. But when we get to Christopher Plummer, like, may he rest in peace. He passed away this year, which is very unfortunate because I do really like Christopher Plummer from this movie, Knives Out, and The Sound of Music performances of his that I do really like. Um, I do think he does a good job here. He's not, he's a very weird character because he's not really a vocal point here as much. He is these like these first two acts, but in the, I think it's just a four act movie. And I think the other two, he drops out a little bit and then comes back kind of at the very end, uh, you know, to see the mission and all that. But he kind <laughs> of, <laughs> he, he kind of, you know, he has a heart attack or whatever, and he's in the hospital for most of the movie after we have this meeting here, and then he talks with Daniel Craig for a little bit afterwards. I do like Christopher Plummer, though, here. I, and he, I think he just fits so well into the, the rich grandfather role, kind of like he did in All the Money in the World. So on that level, I do really like it. And I just like seeing Christopher Plummer act like he's not even doing anything that's like breaking the Christopher Plummer mold, but I just like seeing him work. And in this like little dinner conversation with Patrick, I don't know if you picked up on it, Patrick, but we got one of my favorite David Fincher moves is Christopher Plummer like says something that catches Daniel Craig's ear and Daniel Craig just kind of lifts up a little bit. And the camera makes that small adjustment up and then back down. And that's what I love about Fincher. It's one of my, just one of the subtle, one of my favorite care moves he's ever done. And I just, for me, it's something that I think is so impressive about him as a director. And just kind of the, 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 the tracking shot or whatever, where we're going up to the mansion and we're just kind of getting closer and closer. It, there's something so haunting about that shot that I think works really well. It's all, it was in the trailer as well. And I think it just works so well as a, something so eerie, such an eerie shot, something so haunting and just, kind of fitting in with this this atmosphere of despair that we're having here i do think that there's something just so eerie as we're creeping up to the house and Fitch does that as well in with the door in a certain point when lisbeth is being attacked by the lawyer or the gardener or whatever that that also works really well so when when Fitcher's doing that i think it works really well here so i did like this meeting that that craig castro of christopher Plummer because i just love the way everything looks here with Fincher's directing but i'm also enjoying daniel craig and christopher Plummer on screen together yeah i agree it's definitely um it we're i mean we're still in these kind of shorter scenes but there's kind of like three shorter scenes back to back that are all giving you you know information uh piecemeal you know that you're going to need later on and like you said I didn't really, I wasn't really tracking all of this. I was just like, okay, hopefully if there's something really important here, they'll highlight it more clearly mm -hmm. later on. And they pretty much do. So um, that was good because if just, if you're going into watching this audience and you are like worried that you're missing stuff, don't worry about it. They're throwing mm -hmm. a lot of information at you. All Not all the names are important. Yeah. Um, all the names come into play, but they're not really all that important. So just kind of, I mean, they definitely highlight the key players more strongly. 
but at the same time they're kind of trying to hide some of the characters mm -hmm. so you know keep your eyes open but uh you know don't don't worry too much about the names i would say particularly <laughs> because uh dan craig even has a line where he's like i'm losing all these names and he's writing them down and mm -hmm. i was like i'm right with you but i don't have the notepad <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm writing it uh, down too, and I get I see my pen and paper down. I'm like, I'm done trying to keep up with these names. <laughs> also, all the houses look kind of the same, and the shots yes. like there's there's no like there's it's not a sweeping shot, so we don't know where these houses are relative to each other. It's just like name house name house. It's like okay, okay, Fincher, I'm confused. I'm confused. You're like Christopher Nolaning me right now. Yeah, there's like there's basically like three main locations on this island you have to pick up on and they're pretty easy it's daniel craig's like little cottage that's run down you kind mm -hmm. of notice that there's the big mansion that christopher Plummer lives in and then there's the fancy modern home that stone skarsgård lives in and so those three those are very easy to pick up on and you know wow and they throw like four more in, in the description <laughs> yes. like why do you need the other four <laughs> And I, I do think that those three houses, those are the ones you got to pay most attention to. Like you said, not all the information that's being thrown at us really does matter. It's just a part of the mystery and creating a whodunit here. And, you know, this stuff is it's pretty easy to go through. It's pretty, you're easy to consume it. The hard stuff, the um, the really grip, the, the gripping, the, the uncomfortable moments are with... Mm um Lizbeth and this lawyer what what is this guy's job I I'm sorry legal guardian I'm not sure really what you would call this guy um but he's man a, he's a social worker he works for okay. the state and yeah. yeah he's her legal guardian right now because her previous legal guardian has a stroke right yeah he had a stroke and would we go to this and she was gonna give him that book on Bobby Fisher <laughs> <laughs> You're yeah. killing me, Fincher. You're wrenching my heart out. <laughs> when we do go to those scenes with her and her former legal guardian, I do think that those those scenes are a nice little touch here because it really does feel like that is the only person that she has any kind of solid, healthy, emotional connection with. And I do appreciate those those small little scenes when we get them. It's not like we've been around them too long because it seems like five seconds in this movie. But, you know, I, I do think that that is fine. If Even any of these scenes lingered on, this movie would be over three hours long. <laughs> yeah. yeah, these are a bunch, a bunch of sh short scenes. But when we are with this social worker, it, it's rough. I mean, it is, this is really rough stuff to go through. And it's one of the reasons that, that I would caution audiences here is this is a really hard movie to watch. It's because of this first half here with this social worker. I mean, this was in the book as well. Patrick, this character actually comes back in the second book. And I was pretty surprised by that as well. He is on he is ready for revenge pretty much on Elizabeth in the second book, which I don't know whether that worked for me or not last when i was reading the book that was kind of weird i think this character works much more as an obstacle that lizbeth has to come has to overcome and like i said this is really one of those scenes what these scenes here are really about what you know lizbeth is not saying i mean when she's getting out of the elevator and we have all those those questions that he's throwing at her and she's it, there's just nothing you know it's a blank face just really just not responding to any of them those are just the seats where i'm really picking up on this performance because it's about what she's not saying and that that's the stuff that i do really enjoy here but i mean 
it, it, it's just really rough stuff when when she's raped later on in uh in the the the, the apartment or whatever I, i'm not sure what that is either but those scenes are just are really rough to watch very haunting and just really they, they really do get under skin and Fincher's, I don't think Fincher's ever had something so dark here as far as just, you know, on how just rough the content really is. With Seven, it was much more metaphorical, you know, about the, the you know, just kind of the, the metaphors behind the killing of John there. And that's what was so haunting here. It's just about where Fincher has got our seats planted here and we are just forced to watch. And it's, it's really rough. Yeah. In Seven, he didn't really show us much. It was all yeah. about the aftermath and the psychological toll that the aftermath had. But yeah, this is much more visceral. I definitely kind of like gave it a little like 30 seconds, 30 yeah. seconds, you Same. know, at times. Um, just to, but then I like the next scene like starts off with like some kind of plot point you know mm -hmm. that I missed and I was like oh great so I'd like go back to the beginning of the scene <laughs> oh, so that yeah. was just a little frustrating for me but if you can sit through this then like it's not really a problem yeah. but uh, yeah it's it is I rough. don't I'm not sure how necessary this mm -hmm. is to the plot. But then again, I think the scene in Pulp Fiction is like really important to the plot. <laughs> so yeah. uh, take what I say with a grain of salt. I think mm -hmm. um, it definitely it definitely has greater catharsis later on when she comes back and she's kind of on the warpath. But at the same time, the warpath scene is almost harder to sit through than this scene uh, in a way. Yeah. Like just as far as like sound design goes. Um. <laughs> Gosh, it's awful. It, it is really, it is rough. I mean, we're not even, we're not sugarcoating this for you guys. It's really hard to watch. I do the same thing as you, Patrick. I had to fast forward to these scenes. I just, I couldn't do it. It was so hard to sit through here. I can't imagine, you know, the, the theater experience for this movie where you were just, you paid your $20 to see this movie and you can't fast forward. You've got to watch, you know, and that is rough. It, it, is, when, it is when, yeah, it is one of the reasons I do feel like this, this movie didn't get as much of a reception just because there are probably some people saying, caution, hard movie to watch, you know, and I get it. Mm. I, I really do. I don't think even Gone Girl, probably one of the other more edgier films that Fitcher has as far as visuals go, he never gets any darker than this. I feel this is the darkest we've seen Fincher go as far as his visuals go. I will say with, with Seven, they are probably more darker. They are more despairing. I don't think that's a word, but you get my point. Um, but it's all, like you said, it's all about what, what the metaphors behind it. We don't see any of the killings. It's all about the aftermath. Here we are forced to sit and watch what is, it is happening right now. And, and that is hard. That is like, you know, when we get to the recommend side, if I recommend this movie, you got it. I'm really, my recommend will be tampered down because I can't just go and just go, go watch this movie. It's a hard, it's a commitment. You've really got to go with it. And really the first half of this movie is really the only time I really get this, this hard, like we really have to fast forward. It's just too hard to watch the we That's when we get those moments. And the second half, we don't really get those moments as much. I don't feel, but in the, this first half, it, it is rough when we go to, back to Elizabeth. I mean, my, it, it, I never really do get over just the creepiness of it. It's one of the most scarring parts about this film. It just makes you feel so 
so dirty, you know, and, and just a really weird way coming out of the movie. You, you don't feel even really, you feel kind of just scarred yourself like you did something wrong. At least I, that's kind of how I felt, you know, I just really didn't really feel good going out of the movie, you know, in, in, in some respects, even though, you know, there are a, a tons of things that I enjoyed through like the performance we're getting here from Rudy Mara. When we go back and think about these scenes, just even now there is something just so gross about them. And that was definitely a struggle for me in this first half. And it's, I think many other people are going to struggle with it as well. You know, if I, it's one of the reasons I think dad may enjoy Girl in the Spiders well more because we don't have those scenes in that movie from what I've seen. It's just much more, you know, action. And really Fitcher's a secret and making you watch this really just these rough scenes. And that's one of the things that might tamper recommends later on if they do come. And uh, it, it, it doesn't help this movie. And like you said, I don't know if it's necessary. It, it's very effective though. I mean, it is effective in the, in the building yeah. of the atmosphere, a hundred percent. I mean, don't get me wrong on that. I mean, mm. for me, even the- That's the, the problem. <laughs> if it yeah. wasn't effective, it would be laughable. Like, we, yeah. I mean, not laughable, but it wouldn't be as big a deal, but it's so visceral. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just like thinking, okay, my if my mirror neurons are firing right now, watching this scene, like I don't want to feel like I'm like partially raping someone or like you yeah. know, like I don't want to feel that way. It's just mm-hmm. it gets under your skin. It's very affecting, like you said. So definitely, uh, viewer, be warned. Yeah, and and Fincher really, I I feel like you really feel like. When she's walking out of the apartment, you just see her limping. She just feels so destroyed walking out. And when she, just the moment where she drops her car keys and she's got or her, her motorcycle keys and she's got to bend down to, to pick them up. And you just see the pain in her eyes and her body. I mean, that's just one of those things that it's, it's the feature is not only showing you the scene actually happening the aftermath is in many ways is just as painful as we're seeing her just limp yeah. over in her bathroom we see all her bruises on her back and we get the you know the dragon tattoo um but it is it is just so it is is rough to rot it, it really is even the aftermath you you feel real beat up and when she gets the the tattoo on her ankle that i was like rubbing my ankle just watching it you know like you just really do feel the pain with elizabeth there is something about Avengers just really bridging the gap between what is the characters on the screen and the audience there's like it's 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 almost like a voodoo doll like you're feeling it too and um it, it it's rough it really is and i will say if this this is really only in the first half this was in the second half too I might be having problems with it, but because I do think that this first, these first, these only scenes here, they are, they're only with this, um, the social worker. I don't mind it as much. I wouldn't say we cut out because it does feel such a part of the atmosphere. But if we had these scenes in the second half, I would be having problems, but I don't, I wouldn't say cut this stuff out really just because I do feel like it is part of the movie, whether you like it or not. And I do think the, it is rewarded. Like you said, if this, was not well done if it didn't pay out later then i probably would be really mad coming on the show just on how how you know like you really got to ask a lot of your audience to have them sit and watch this and so that is kind of if it didn't pan out i'd be pretty mad but i do think it does so for that i am going to pardon the movie and i do think the themes are working here though as we're just kind of seeing you know just uh 
male and she's just trapped in this in this male dominant world and this is an obstacle that she just has to overcome and she does the good of the authorities because the book it explains it much more i mean you know the what are they going to do they won't believe her or anything like that just because of her past and so that is just one of those things that i think is so effective about the thing. it's one of the best things i think is with the lawyer that when you sit back and think about him what is on the actual paper what we're meaning to get out of these scenes with its themes i do think they are very effective so on that level it's working for me yeah i wouldn't say cut it out but i would i don't think there's anything wrong with cutting it down i feel mm -hmm. like when he grabs like the uh when he pulls out the handcuffs that was like super affecting i was like oh crap you know mm -hmm. and like when he like when she wakes up and or whatever she's like all tied down i was like oh no this is terrible like i was already yeah. feeling all the pain of the scene and you know there's a shot where he's kind of like panning away from the door that's shut and locked and that, that was is good. super affecting yeah that paired with the aftermath scene where she's back at her own apartment and like showering and she's all bruised and scarred up that those two scenes to me would affect the audience as much without crossing the line into like i don't know what the i would call the territory that we got into in this scene <laughs> yeah, yeah but i wasn't comfortable with it, it it's um, real uncomfortable yeah yeah, and I think the catharsis would still be there. And I think all the themes would mm -hmm. still be there too. But I mean, this is Fincher. He always wants to cross the line just a little bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, Seven has some scenes that are pretty revolting. So Yeah, yeah. I'm going to say that nothing like this, especially just because of how like, it was all about, you know, killings and Seven. Here that this is probably something mm. that has happened to many other you know, young women out there. And I think the, the part just because of how realistic this type of relationship she has with the social worker is, is one of the things that makes it even more uncomfortable. And that's one of the, you know, what I think it like this, the, um, the movie that came out later, The Girl in the Spider's Web, like, uh, that has this line that like, that really hits towards like the themes of how that this is a, uh, a woman who hurts men who hurt women or something like that. It's in the, the later movie and i don't know if that's a good line kind of but a corny it, line <laughs> yeah kind of a little corny yeah but for what it needs i do think that, that fits in with this movie on you know when mikhail comes in and you know is asking her to to join to join him in solving this mystery it's i wish you help me catch a killer of women you know and so when we get to those themes and that's i think is much more subtle than the line i just mentioned um, but yeah, we'll yeah the sentiment of that line comes across in this movie without them mm -hmm. actually having to say that line, which is exactly what you want to happen. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, yeah, when we get the revenge scene too, like normally in a, in a normal movie, which this isn't it, which is this is not, in a normal movie, we would kind of be going, yeah, go Lisbeth, yeah. But that's really not what's happening. You still feel real uncomfortable. It's so rough to watch. It, it, it just hurts, you know, it, emotionally. It just really, it hurts. And there's nothing really like, oh yeah, yeah, a few social worker, you know, it, there's just, there's nothing really about it that feels like, like, like we're getting a nice revenge story here. It feels in many ways just as dirty and nothing really, hopeful or, or good about it nothing really good comes cu comes of it i mean this is like a really really just dark moment of revenge that we get here and nothing gets gratifying about it it is effective though 
Yeah. I mean, the tattoo is kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that's a pretty cool image to to pan up from. That that was a neat move. But yeah, when uh, it, it, there are other moments of this scene that are also just real rough to watch. But I, I'm telling you, if we had a lesser actress here, I'd also be pretty mad. But because Rooney Mara is so good here, when she's getting into she's getting her face into camera and she goes, "I am insane," you know, I believe her. You know, like <laughs> she's selling me on those lines, you know, and just her face with the dark eyeshadow, the makeup and hairstyle really is helping her a lot here. But it's it's really all on the performance here. And it is it, it's really effective. If we had a bad actress here, I would not at least I would be telling you to cut these scenes out because she's not selling me on her pain and she wouldn't be selling me on her her moment of revenge. But but here, though, with because I think this performance is so good, I think that it works really well and that's why i would say that we do should keep these scenes in. i liked your version of patrick of cutting some of the actual rape out of the out of the previous scene because i do think that the, you still get the themes there but like you said it is fincher and he's gonna make you watch it whether you like it or not so that is one of the rough things you just have to get <laughs> you didn't make me movie. watch it <laughs> yeah yeah i skipped it by the way i skipped it i i got the door and i got the 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 moments of pain afterwards but um yeah, I do. Get, I like I like your take for sure. And yeah, this is a really this so this revenge scene is real rough. Yeah, the the tattoo is cool. The the rest of it is rough. I like the, the her whole all her lines about like the fiber optic lens and like mm -hmm. the whole world will see you know what you did. And I like her I plan. It was just gonna be a <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's like, I thought it was just gonna be another blow job, which would have been gross enough. <laughs> and yeah. then she's like showing him the the video, uh, which again, uh, like, why do we have to see the video again? You know, like yeah. they bring the same shot from the first scene that was so horrible and then we they play it again in this scene or enough yeah, of it. I didn't think we needed to cut to the video as much as we did. That I I agree yeah. actually. I feel like we could have gotten a little less of the video. But that's just my taste, you guys. As I would like to call myself a, a decent human being, you know, I just prefer not to <laughs> see such things on screen. But you know, it is what it is. Like and I'm no prude. <laughs> <laughs> Like I said, I think the plan is cool though. There is kind of that little moment when you like, we just kind of close your eyes and hear what she's actually saying about the plan. That is cool. Mm. But when you open them and you know, you see the video, you just see her kicking that thing into his butt. That was rough, just real yeah, rough. You don't even want to close your eyes because honestly the sound design <gasps> is like the worst part of this scene. <laughs> it's really bad. It's, it's awful oh. but also really good know. Let's, you know let's move on. Let's yeah move on, move on. <laughs> yeah it's we, affecting yeah. affecting not good i would say <laughs> yeah yeah the mystery is working for me though here when we're going back to Mikel, to see what stellan scars going to be meet him i really like stellan scars in this movie i i think he's a very good actor mm -hmm. from what i've seen him in, in chernobyl he's incredible here i like him also and um you know i think that there's something so creepy about the scene post watching the movie when you you hear that uh the, the the wind quote unquote and you realize you know it's a scream from down in the basement you know like that's moments like that that is pretty that, that, that those are cool things to come back to later and that it, it is kind of one of those moments in a, in a like a mystery movie or an agatha christie book where you realize oh what i what you thought was just a gush of wind was actually a scream yeah that that was kind of a cool moment but what's so creepy is that you're actually kind of like enjoying this scene like 
it, it's such a normal like kind of happy moving conversation that when you you flash back to it later on you realize that he's sitting face to face with this serial killer and rapist you know and like kind of enjoying you know a good glass of wine with the man you know it is it is creepy post that way i i think that i don't know if this was necessarily intended i don't think this was necessarily intended by fincher but it's a it was something that i ran into on how we could just be having dinner with a serial killer and not even knowing it you know i don't know if that's a theme explicitly stated in the movie but that's something that i got out of it and i think that that is a cool way to look at it as well just with you know how normal this conversation plays and then kind of just the haunting feeling after there's just a, a caged up moment down there you know and that that is really just kind of a, such a fetcher just creepy move to do but i think skarsgård's yeah, really it also good speaks here. to stellan skarsgård's line uh later on where he's talking about how people like don't listen to their instincts mm -hmm. or whatever and like yeah. they would rather be like polite than like follow their instincts yeah so when i heard that i was like that sounds kind of like a scream right like that was a scream right but then stellan skarsgård goes oh it's just some windows open somewhere and i'm like oh okay oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh sorry i guess it must just be the atmosphere of the movie that yeah, made me think yeah. that, that scream sounded like a scream <laughs> Yeah, it is creepy and it does mess with you. Like you don't, it sounds like one, but it also sounds like a scream. I do said the sound design of this movie is painful with that, you know, that previous scene, you know, it, it is rough just to listen to. But, you know, I think the way he mixes it with all that on what sounds like an actual scream and what sounds like a gush of wind, that I think that does work for me. And, you know, we have, we have a character here, Cecilia, who is the, I don't know if she is the cousin of Harriet or not. But she comes in and she visits Mikhail's cottage one time, and then we see her later at the hospital, and then we Mikhail asks her help later. This is actually a huge character in the book, and she gets like three seeds. Um, and in the book, she and Mikhail actually have a little, I guess, winter fling or whatever, where um they have a little romance going on, and probably like the second act of the book, and yet that happens, and it is kind of it is kind of weird, but you know, you gotta you kind of have to go with it. So, with Cecilia here, it is kind of weird that she's only for me having read the book. It is kind of weird that she's in this for so little. But I don't know. It's the same with knowing. I mean, Patrick you probably had no notes on this character in your mind whatsoever. I mean, she just kind of goes in and out of the movie. But for me, you know, as someone who read the book, it is kind of weird that she kind of only gets like a couple of scenes here. Even though, like, I do think that. She works, you know, in, in the scenes that she appears in, and she does serve into the plot later on. Yeah, she works in that, like, her character is believable. Mm -hmm. But I was also kind of bored in these scenes. Like, I didn't yeah. feel like there was much that we got out of them. Um, yeah. Except maybe a little more context on the family, I guess. Yeah. Um, but honestly, I wasn't super interested in this family in general. Uh -huh. Like, like that's kind of part of why Mikkel's storyline doesn't grab me as much especially in the first half of the movie um i'm just kind of like all right let's you know let's have them meet up mm -hmm. let's get to the let's get to the yeah, real action yeah. or whatever i don't know if i was looking for action i don't really know what i was looking for but uh these scenes with this character weren't really doing it and i think that's 100 percent intentional though by the end you're not really meant to care about this mystery you really don't feel any relief or moment of victory 
when they do solve the mystery, you know. So I feel like this disconnect. That, but I don't know. That family. golf club moment was pretty was pretty victorious. <laughs> that yes, the one probably victorious <laughs> moment of the movie was the golf club scene. But yeah, when we get to the actual, you know, even you know, even later on when she's gonna like, you think you're gonna have an awesome like, Lizbeth's gonna kill Stone Skarsgård moment. The car just blows up, you know. Like we didn't even get that satisfying kill. I was kind of like, yes, shoot him, you know. I, I was really ready for it. But also like, Lizbeth to shoot someone. But you know, anyway, like we don't get that. The car just blows up. There's really no moment of victory even there. And when Harriet visits Christopher Palmer later, Mikel and Lizbeth just walk off, you know, like they don't. They, they don't care anymore. They've done their job and you're kind of right there with them. You don't really care. There's no moment of victory. And knives out when you figure out who the murderer is. And it's like, heck yeah, go on a day, Armis, you know, like, woo! Uh, but here... <laughs> that was the wrong knife. That was a toy knife. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. You do get a moment. You get moments of victory in Knives Out. Here, the, the mystery is is without, you know, you don't really care. But, you know, you're talking about action. And while we don't really get any action, we get, you know, action, I think, through dialogue. And when Mikkel and Lizbeth finally meet, I think that that is, you know, action through writing, you know? I mean, he kind of comes in, he's invading her privacy, but that's why I think that that he catches her eye and why this little, you know, romance, whatever is going to spawn up later is there is something just how he's able to keep up with her, I think, intellectually in a conversation when I probably other people aren't, I think he understands her a lot better than other people do. And he's willing to trust her and give her her own privacy. And so you, I think this is probably, I do really like this romance that we get here between the two. It is so different though, from anything else, I think we've ever seen with a with a romance for a movie. It is so weird. It is so Fincher. You know, this is definitely a uh, a, a Fincher romance. It's definitely something that Fincher would do. Um, but I think it works. I think that Luz Beth and Daniel Craig or Rooney Mara and Daniel Craig have great chemistry. I think they go with each other really well. So all of the scenes with them, I think that I enjoy every scene that Liz Beth and and Mikel have together because I think because of the performance and because of the way it, it's all directed. I don't want I want to still finish directing here. Like when Liz Beth goes to check on the social worker later on the elevator and she is kind of like standing uh, at the door of the elevator, her back to the door and like walks out. Like that's a really good image. So I really enjoyed Fitcher's imagery here as well with moments that may, may not add anything to the story, but just look so cool. Like I put it on a poster or something like that. You know, they just look really cool. So he does it in the conversations as well. So when Mikel and, and Lizbeth are together, I do think that just in the directing, the chemistry is working really well. And I do like the relationship between the two. Yeah, I like the relationship. I think it's their relationship is kind of like that uh, car fire moment that you were talking about. It's very, it's not romanticized, really. Mm -hmm. You know, like even when they first like get together, quote unquote, yeah. it's kind of cut and dry almost. Yeah. Even not that it's like cold or like unfeeling. It's just, you know, she's a little socially uh, abnormal. And he's just kind of like uh, there, you know, he's just kind of like there for whatever. And so it is a, an interesting relationship for sure. Yeah. And I have to say, like, even when like they, they like they, they have sex later on, like that's not anything I really would know. That was almost like our script over. But um, 
for me, the, the reward there is when they're having like toast or whatever later on you see that like she made toast for him and then like she like actually like kind of gives him a combo like i like work with you because like, i like working with you too you know like those yeah. those little moments that's what i appreciate the most that those are the character details that i'm enjoying so when we get those moments that's what really is worked for me in the relationship and i think that these next couple acts benefit a lot because they're on screen together and sort of the disconnect you were having with the family is probably solved in the scenes of Craig because Lizbeth is there and there's a lot of great chemistry I think happening and that's what I'm enjoying now in the second half of the movie. Yeah it definitely does feel kind of like a workplace relationship that might be the best way to describe it and I think that line kind of those two lines kind of capture that very well because once the job is over quote unquote Craig just kind of like goes back to his old fling, you know? Mm -hmm. So as the mystery is moving along, I have to say the last couple of viewings I had in this movie, I didn't really know how certain Mikkel and Lizbeth came to their conclusions on who the murderers were. But mm -hmm. um, I, I, for me, it, it came together much easier here as we're going through, I like, all the stuff with the the Bible verses and all that that was kind of somehow the way this the serial killer was was actually killing people and all that like give us a way to have it so that Steve Larson and Fincher like collaborate together and like pull up the darkest verses of the Bible <laughs> you use them in their dark movie like that, that I, I really did appreciate how they didn't even did touch that. revelation yeah <laughs> yeah and I and I do think it, it was really cool. Craig coming up with the uh, uh, the little that she saw something across the street and then she walked away. That was a cool moment as well. So I'm enjoying all these mystery moments when we do get them, when we get these revelations, even though, like you said, when, when Lizbeth isn't there with Craig in that first half, it is moving along a little bit more slowly. I do really like it when they're coming up with certain, when they're, they have revelations and all that on on certain plot points and clues for the mystery that stuff i am i am enjoying a lot more when lizbeth comes together on screen because her the deducting and and figuring out all this information is just a, a little better than, <laughs> than than daniel craig doing it even though i do like what daniel craig is doing here he's which is much more of an average joe than lizbeth is who his has a lot more going on i feel but I when they're going into the file room that on my first and second viewing that was kind of when they lost me when they're going through all the the files I really didn't put a lot whole lot of that together this third viewing though like I I got it like I, I kind of figured out how they were coming to certain conclusions and all that 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 helps for me a lot more in the mystery because you know even though this isn't a huge part necessarily of the themes in the movie I do want to, you know, I, I want to know who it is, you know, even though, you know, you think it's still Skarsgård for, you know, three scenes. <laughs> That's kind of one of the big ones I have to, you know, but I, I the deduction, the fire room, the little kind of, the one kind of like maybe bit of comedy that we get with the assistant or whatever, like probably the funniest moment of the whole movie is like when the assistant gets so annoyed with Lizbeth it's not even like that it's more like, like a chuckle like it's not even like a, a full-on laugh like it's just like how little like an actual smile comes across your face or whatever but anyway i mikhail investigating and, and figuring out it's martin and going up to the to the mansion or, or penthouse or whatever like that was cool i 
the whole scene with like the knife and tripping in the forest and he comes in and just like a drink or whatever, you know, like that was all, I think, really well done. And it reminded me a lot of the, the scene you know, in Zodiac with the basement. That was all, I don't know if it was quite as effective as, as Zodiac had it, but still Skarsgård is doing a great job here, I feel, with the, the tension that he's helping with, with building the scene. I am really enjoying that. And then, you know, you're on the edge of the seat. You don't know what's going to happen. And I do really like the scene when the, when Craig is kind of trapped, really, in the house. And, you know, he knows that he's got the knife and all that. I think this whole scene plays out really well. Yeah, I agree. As far as the investigation goes, honestly, I wanted Lizbeth to do a little more hacking. Like, a lot of her investigation was pretty analog. Like, she was literally pulling out files and, like, flipping through pictures and then she had her computer out so she could like make a little graph to like keep all the information straight <laughs> she wasn't really like doing I don't know like I, I don't know anything about computers or anything but I think you know I was picturing her as more of a hacker going into the movie and she does mm -hmm. you know break a bunch of firewalls early on or whatever but um I it wasn't like the way that they solved mystery I thought she was going to bring her particular set of skills into play mm -hmm. yeah which didn't happen as much so i was a little disappointed with that honestly but i i and i also like you since it was my first time viewing i wasn't exactly sure how they figured out mm -hmm. like who the murderer was until they explain it later on like at <laughs> scars guard and afterwards yeah. and i was like oh yeah that makes sense they were looking at the pictures they saw that he was there mm -hmm. and he said he wasn't there blah 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 um but the yeah the real I think the the core of this movie is the Stellan Skarsgård scene with Daniel Craig and Lisbeth racing to mm -hmm. get back basically that's kind of the epitome of where all these storylines were going mm -hmm. and it, it plays out really well and I also like the subversion of the damsel in distress narrative yeah you know? yeah that way it's so it's so subtle too like if anyone ever go like i feel like in a lesson you go a female just saved me you know it's just so like it feels so natural that she comes in to save him when i feel like other movies would make such a bigger deal out of it you get just as much impact mm, yeah. as, or even a greater impact than if they just explicitly pointed it out like it's they Fincher just does it so well with i think creating a, a female kind of like leader here i'm not sure like if she's an action star or whatever but like you know on kind of taking the place of of this male here who would normally you know she would normally be the damsel of the stress but now mikhail is the damsel of the stress you know so that yeah. I, but it's that's, not contrived it just makes sense yeah, in the story it, it really does it's all flowing together and feels very realistic i feel and even though like like you mentioned i would have liked a bit more hacking you know that's such a big part of lizbeth but i have to ask did did they mention that she had a photographic memory in the movie? Because that's part of the book. And I don't know yeah, if I missed that Yeah, they didn't mention one. it, but she definitely is flipping through those files. She was flipping yeah. through those files, like, one page a second. And I was like, okay, she must have, like, some kind yeah. of uh, advanced <laughs> memory. Yeah, that's actually that's explicitly stated in the book. But I, I was wondering if the movie mentioned that, because I might have missed that line. But, yeah, yeah, she's got a photographic memory, yeah. so that does aid her in the, the file searching. So it does feels, yeah. it still feels they, like part of her. I, I got you. If they mentioned it, I definitely missed it too. But I mm -hmm. definitely also picked up on it because yeah. I, I think it's pretty clear, especially like in earlier on in the apartment scene where he like first gives her some information and he's like, don't you need to look over that? And she's like, I got it. 
and then he's like trying to hand it to her and then she takes it and like sets it on the dresser <laughs> yeah. and like, walks away i was like oh okay she's fast yeah yeah and when we get down into the basement i mean whoa real creepy stuff i <laughs> love this scene it, it's so creepy one of my favorite just still Skarsgård moments. I just, I love this scene. I think Skarsgård's doing all the work here. Craig's just kind of, you know, he's sitting there with this little glass of, of whiskey or whatever, you know? And <laughs> I love that he, like, <laughs> that uh, Martin took the liberty of refilling his glass, you know, like just little things like that I thought were great. And then they bring in that that song. I don't know what it's called, but just that little, that happy little music with sad words, sad words, sad That was real <laughs> creepy. I loved the music choice that Fincher had there and just the, the detail all around the place, weapons, the cages, and that little contraption that Craig is attached to is just so weird. I, I, I just, mm. and that he's sitting behind the the camera and all that. I just love the way this whole scene looks, the way Skarsgård's playing it. it. It's one of my favorite scenes of the movie without Lizbeth explicitly throughout the scene, even though she does come in at the end. I think it's one of the finest moments of the film, really. I think it just plays out so well. It's got Craig, it's got Fincher's great choice of music for movies and also just great performances and the way the detail of the of the room, it's, it's great. I, it, one of my favorite scenes of the movie, without a doubt. Yeah, it's you really get the the sterile sense. Like mm -hmm. he has this down to a science. I mean, he definitely talks about it very explicitly, but the feel of the room, like you said, has that too. And that uh, shot you're talking about how great this movie looks. The shot with Stellan Skarsgård um, having the gas mask oh my over gosh, his yes. jaw and the smoke and the gas it. coming in, uh -huh. Craig dropping, and then the glass shattering. That was super smooth. I was like, ooh. <laughs> like even though it was intense i was like "Ooh, very fun very finesse yeah and then this beth comes in i have to say every time a character uh drives into that bridge whether it's on their car or motorcycle it's just it's perfect. I love it. And Lizbeth's got <laughs> such an awesome motorcycle. Like it's something that Fincher uses more than once. We get kind of the, the same directing move when Martin's car comes in and when Lizbeth's motorcycle comes in. I don't get bored of it because it looks so great and so beautiful. And when Lizbeth comes in, it's one of the definitely probably the one tree moment of actual like like violence in the movie was like actually like full on gore which you just hits it with that golf club that was a great moment too it's kind of the one kind of fist bump moment like you said like which we don't really have many in the movie but that was a really cool scene and but as i said say though even though we get that one moment of cheering like i'm kind of thinking oh yes 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 who's about this gonna kill him oh this is gonna be cool you know and then the car just blows up and it's kind of anticlimactic but it does i think fit into the themes of it kind of the poetry that fitcher's got going on here and i think it does, it works well i feel so I, I'm not really mad to me before, even though it would have been cool, you know, to see Lizbeth fully take on Martin. That'd have been a neat moment. But for what the themes of the movie that Fincher's going for, I do, I do give it to him, even though like it would have been really cool. <laughs> yeah, honestly, like I was kind of think, even though there was that part of me that was saying like sweet revenge, like let's have her yeah. kill him. There was also a big part of me that I was like, oh, okay, now we descend yeah. into stereotype. And then the car blows up and I was like, oh, <laughs> um, I didn't say that out loud, but I was thinking it. I was like, hmm, very good. Um, yeah, so I, I like that the car blows up. 
Yeah, it was a good way to subvert expectations. And but it also does not you don't feel much of a victory of it, even though you do appreciate just as someone who appreciates, you know, creative writing and all that and good directing for him to subvert expectations like that is cool. I don't know if audiences are going to appreciate that moment as maybe you or I would who were looking for cool twists and films and all that. But, you know, and, and just directing and writing and subverting expectations. But I think it works and I did like it. And when we get to kind of the reveal that Harriet is actually still alive, you know, that that was a, you know, there's not really much to it. Like, you're like, oh, like I didn't like the moment you have in the car blew up never came for me when we figured out Harriet was the, was actually still alive. Like that was just kind of like, oh, okay. You know, and that's kind of how we're meant to take it too. Like we aren't meant to take it as a moment of victory. And that's, that's fine. You know, I, I, it's with the characters, it's with Mikkel and Elizabeth. Those are the characters that we're paying attention to and not really this mystery. When Christopher Palmer is crying and giving Harriet a hug, you know, like there's no emotion there. Even though like Christopher Palmer is like giving a great performance. I mean, there, it's not really, you know, a victorious moment or a happy moment or it, they even put a smile on your face. Your, your, your face is still just as, you know, grim as Elizabeth and, uh, and Mikkel look. Yeah, definitely. And after this, we kind of like me. Uh, Veringer had promised, or Christopher Palmer had promised that uh, he would have you know some information on Vinstrom, and he does it. And that was kind of a that was a really just a, a cold moment for poor Craig, who who really just really needed this moment. He just didn't get it. And that that was, I think, another good way to subvert expectations. And even the reward wasn't really worth the risk, you know? And Luz Best got to go kind of like undercover, incognito, and get some information on really messed Winstrom up. That was cool. Like, I think it, the fact that this is giving Lizbeth a good a great character moment, I totally go with. So I do think it's it's a it really fits into just kind of the hopelessness feel of the movie that Craig just can't even get this win where it's just information that dates back 35 years ago. We can't use that in a story, and so that that was uh, I think a really a, a cool way, like I said, to subvert expectations from what you think was going to happen. Yeah, it definitely kind of has, like you said, that uh, hopeless feel and that kind of like the desperation. But it's not even desperation at this point on Craig. Like, it is more just hopeless. Like, yeah. he's just like, well, that was my chance. Oh, well. Which, I mean, Lisbeth does kind of come in clutch later on, um, <laughs> which we'll get to. But it definitely kind of, it's like, that one, it's all the parts of the movie that don't get solved that immediately seem more important once the thing that you thought was the main focus of the movie is solved, but it's mm. really not by the end. Yeah, and when she does go, you know, incognito, I think that's cool, but I think what's even greater is we are seeing them, her and Mikhail are still having like a solid relationship here. She gets to go visit her former guardian. That was a cool scene. And yeah, it may be cheesy. I don't know. It's one of the probably one of the more less realistic pieces of dialogue that we get here. But when when she just goes, I'm happy, like that was like what I meant, right? Actually, like just like smile. Like you feel happy for her that she's actually having this moment. I'll tell you, no matter how many times I'll see this movie, I'll I'll still really just feel happy for Elizabeth. And then to have it taken away from her. God, that dang Robin Wright. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's crushing when you get there. But before we get to all that, like when when she 
he's asking Craig for $50,000 and he just kind of like, goes, okay. And she just is kind of yeah. like, it's just so grateful for that. Like that nobody probably ever would do that for her. And that he's willing to go that extra mile. Like that's, that's really cool. Like, and you get the, you get what Fincher's going for out of that moment and it works really well. And you totally buy into it. And all the incognito stuff is cool. Like that's kind of when we get more of, I think, hacking Elizabeth, even though she's not on the computer the whole time. Like we see a little bit of that, but also she's going undercover, getting a wig and all that. That was also like something that I thought was really cool to see as well. And how well she's got to disguise stuff. And it felt really modern too. Like it felt like probably you could actually do this, you know, which is one of the things I liked about this movie is all their deductions have come in a realistic manner. Yeah, it was definitely the most, uh, I don't know, but you've read the book, so you could probably tell me better, but it was, it seemed like a kind of a fanboy moment yeah, in well, the movie. I honestly was not a big fan of this segment in the book. I actually think Fincher does it here better. Like, I think it's a, it's a worthy note in the book, but here I think he makes it more interesting. And hey, we got Trent Reznor doing the score. So it just feels more kinetic and feels more fun. <laughs> it's one of the most, well, I think this is actually kind of a fun segment, you know, getting to see her undercover and all that. Like we don't have any fun moments in this movie, but that is kind of one of those where you're kind of enjoying kind of the cool ga- like tricks and gadgets she's using and all that. So that was cool. And I enjoyed that. And, you know, she goes to all this work, gets the money and all that. And then, you know, she gets the, the leather jacket and she goes up and she she sees that he is with Robin Wright and just throws it in the trash can and rides off on a motorcycle and moves over. When I read the book, I like read that final two pages like 10 times. Like I just couldn't believe it. Like that's how you're gonna end this book off. Like it really just it's a gut punch, you know, where you think this might actually end out okay. And then she's right back to square one. It's all gone full circle, right back where we started, where she's all alone. And she's she's back to, she's closed up. She's not going to open up to anyone ever again or or ever get full into the thinking that someone actually cares about her. You know, it's really crushing. And yeah, I wasn't crying, but I got a little misty. Like, just because I just, I really have been connected with this character throughout this movie. Like, it's such an effective, just, it's really effective character writing for me and really effective, just an effective scene. And like I said, it's about Rooney Mar isn't saying anything. You just see it in her face just as she's walking off. It's just so cold. She's the, so closed up again. And the music is so sad here as well. Like I can't really listen to this music without getting a little emotionally. It's just the Reznor score here is, is really effective. It, we haven't talked about it as much as we did with Social Network. But he's got some really good stuff here. And this is one of the most effective, just, I think, sad pieces he's ever written here. It's it's really sad. Just, we get that great shot of her just riding off on a motorcycle and the movie's over. And it, it's crushing for me. It really is. It's it's sad. You know, it, it really is. And you just, just really connect with her in that moment. Yeah, it seemed almost like destiny to me, kind of like mm-hmm. when the car explodes. Like, there was there's an element of fate in this movie that is like, um not like verbal but like while it is sad at the same time would it really have worked Mm -hmm. with her and Mikhail long term do you think like I I feel like this is the way it had to be like Mm -hmm. it's sad but it's also just kind of like it's almost predestined like it had to be this way also I 
probably missed something big, but what was the jacket about? Like, I saw that there was okay, a picture okay. of him wearing the jacket, but... Yeah, it was a picture of him. It actually was, like, his former wife, and he had that, he had a leather jacket on, and, and she got it for him or something like that. Like, I guess, hinting back to, like, It was, I guess, like, the same jacket? I don't know. I think it was just, what I got out of it was it was really expensive, <laughs> and so she paid a lot of money for it, and she just threw it in the trash can. Yeah. But like I do think well. she, <laughs> she might have went back after the the movie was over and grabbed it. She's like, I'll just keep it for myself, you know. But I don't know. Like yeah. I think it was she's got a few pennies to throw away. <laughs> yeah, I do think it, it was it was effective. It really was. And even though like I think it like why she had got to draw from this photo, like just kind of the, the draw line, this was probably expensive and she paid a lot of money for it. Like that that I think this goes a, a long ways anyway. And uh, yeah, like I, like I said, I think it's crushing. I get what you're saying too. Like, would it have worked wrong term? Probably not. It really feels like this was a, a few months, just kind of a fantasy, you know? And it, it had to come to an end at some point. She's got to wake up and, you know, it, it's, like I said, it's disheartening. It, it fits in this movie, it's just hopelessness and despair. But, you know, I think it's effective. It's why I appreciate <laughs> Fincher so, it's why I appreciate Fincher as a director so much is that he's able to, to still do great writing, even in these just this darkness and despair, he's able to draw very similar conclusions or and have great emotional moments without using, you know, like corny schmaltzy stereotypes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the the lonerism is a key part of her character, mm -hmm. and it's sad. And I and I, I think it works really well. Yeah. Sorry, I, I had a thought. I had a thought, and then I just totally lost it. <laughs> well, let me know if it comes back. But um, I don't have anything else to add, really. So, Patrick, do you recommend the girl with the giant tattoo, and why? Mm, do I? I don't know. I, have to, I again, like I, I do. I feel like I always do this, but I have to recommend it with like certain caveats mm -hmm. like if you like the gram if you like the bleak if you are not disturbed by uh very boundary pushing rape scenes yeah. uh if you like mystery like you know like all the all these there are all these attributes you have to have i think to um be this movie's audience this movie has a very specific audience I would say and if you don't feel like after listening to this review you fit into the audience then you probably shouldn't watch it yeah. you probably won't let's go I'm a doomer I am Gen Z then like watch it it's great you know you feel terrible but there's some great characters and, you know, there's a little bit of catharsis. There's a little bit of revenge going on, you know, um, fighting back against the evil, the wave of dis destruction, mm -hmm. mutilation, societal decay. But it's pretty good. And there's that <laughs> funny moment in the, <laughs> with the files. You know? <laughs> so she tells that Karen right off so and there's a there's two karens there's karen o in the opening so there you go there you go yeah it's a mixed bag i don't know if that all adds up to a recommendation or not did you like but the movie let's just end it like summary. that did you like the movie like would you give it a thumbs up um, as far as the like or dislike 
I enjoy, see even that is more complicated because I enjoyed elements of it. I liked the atmosphere. I liked Lisbeth's character. I thought Daniel Craig did a good job. The story, I, I could take or leave. Like I wasn't super engaged with it. Mm-hmm. So I, so that uh, left me kind of cold on some scenes, a little bored throughout. But there was also entertainment in it, and it was. I didn't feel like I wasted any time. Like I was like, I'm glad that I watched it. Um, I don't know if I would go back. I probably would rewatch it if I was in a certain mood yeah. at a certain time. But um, generally, I don't know. It's it's kind of like in Gladiator when Joaquin Phoenix is, you know, like given this little like wiggly thumb, I like out to the side. I don't know. Um, I would say it falls on a thumb up because I enjoyed it in the context of examining Fincher's work mm. yeah I I agree look okay I'm gonna put my cards on the table I love this movie I, I really do I have a lot of respect for it I love the source material and you know putting that aside I'm going to give this a recommend where normally I would be giving a movie this quality a strong recommend I'm just going to be giving this a recommend just a just a recommend because this is not going to be for everyone. I mean, looking back, you know, for me, as a, a Fincher fanboy, I just get mad at this movie bombed and that people didn't get to see it. And we missed out on probably would have been one of my favorite trilogies if it kept up this quality. It had been, uh, I think, a great trilogy. But, you know, putting that aside, I understand why people didn't go to see this movie because it just is a bleak movie. I mean, we all, yeah, I mean, you and I just felt uncomfortable, really, just talking about that revenge scene the 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 kick of the thing up his butt you know like it's all just uncomfortable stuff it's hard to watch i had the fast forward scenes sounds like you did too it it is just a it is a rough movie at times it really is and in many ways it is a step too far i'm just gonna say that it it doesn't have to be this bleak at, at times patrick pitched a really good version of this movie where you really cut the actual rape out of the movie and just leave it up to your interpretation which is gonna come to the same as everyone else's. And just, you get the door, the beautiful door shot of painting back that's so haunting. And then her lipping off, having to bend down and just the pain of her picking up her motorcycle keys. That speaks volumes. The actual rape, I had to skip over. I just couldn't do it, you know? And it's, it is so hard to watch. And I, I was like, oh, maybe I'll push through it this time. And I couldn't. I just, I had to. There was no way I was going to watch the whole thing. I, I don't want to go see this movie in theaters because I know I'm going to have to actually sit through the whole stick of thing, you know, so, and I don't want to have to do that. So I understand why people didn't get to see this movie. And, you know, I understand, like, even as a piece of, like, writing and story, it is going to have problems for some people because I think, you know, Patrick, you, you voiced the major concern I think people are going to have is that this this actual mystery won't interest people as lot. Fitcher is a god as a way to make it gripping, you know? And so for me, I respect the move for that it isn't actually as gripping because I think it fits into the theme to the movie, but that may just be me. And some people may actually just hold it as a flaw. And in that case, you do you, because in many ways you could be right. Maybe it isn't right of Fincher to make the theme like that and situate to where the actual story of the movie, what, like, if you read the plot summary, it's, you know, got a venture. It's all about the venture murder case. You're going and thinking it's a murder mystery. And it's not about that. It's about Lisbeth and Mikhail's relationship with each other and mainly about Lisbeth. 
You know, so if you're going in for this murder mystery, I don't know if you're going to enjoy it because it's not a big vocal point in themes of this movie. And Fincher just go out of his way to make it enjoyable. So in that case, you may not like this movie. And I totally get it. I, I, at this point, I've had to come to terms that not everyone's going to enjoy this movie, even though I love it. I, I love it and respect it. And I love this performance by uh, Rooney Mara. Like I said, it's one of my favorite performances by an actress. It didn't get nominated. I understand why did it get nominated but at the same time it just for me it reminds me that the academy is just so so short-sighted in their in their views and what they're looking for to where a performance like this would never get nominated thankfully for once the golden globes got it right and at least gave her a nomination but you know she still didn't win and i feel like this is definitely a performance that deserved to win and it's it's weird, you know, and it continues the themes that we've had throughout this retrospective is that Fitcher is just really undervalued, you know, at the Oscars. It took Sorkin for him to actually to get an actual Oscar nomination, you know. I mean, it just he's always had to have some other like detail. He's had to pull from actual events. He really hasn't been able to do him very, very well without, you know. He won Gone Girl, his highest grossing movie, still didn't get an Oscar nomination, you know, like and Rosemary Pike, I think everyone would have said that she should have gotten she should have won for best supporting actress. I mean, that's an incredible performance, whatever you think of the movie. And, you know, here, I really do love Rini Mar here. It's a, it's a performance and a character who I thought about weeks and weeks after finishing the movie and still roll over my head sometimes to this day. I rolled her over all constantly, constantly trying to dis dissect this character. And just, it was, it's really enjoyable to do just to dissect this character and get to see what makes her tick and all that. She's just so unique from anything we've seen in mainstream entertainment. And that's just one of the reasons I enjoy it so much and why I respect Fincher so much. The movie looks good. No Fincher movie we've seen so far has really looked bad. Alien 3 had some really bad moments, but as a piece of directing, you know, it still looked good. So Fincher's never made a movie that I feel like looks bad. And this movie has some of his best camera movies. I, I mentioned the um, the camera movie with Craig sitting up a little bit, then sitting back down. It's all just one take. And the camera just, you know, big, heavy cameras just moved up at just a small little inch, you know. And I just have so much respect that Fincher's able to pay that much attention to detail. So Skarsgård's great. One of my favorite performances from him. He does a good job as well. So I'm going to give this a, 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 a solid recommend. I definitely think people should venture out, try to see this movie. But if you have listened to some of Patrick and I's discomfort at talking about some of the rape scenes here, and you don't feel like that's your cup of tea, you 100% don't have to see this movie. I mean, that is fine. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say that my love for Fincher isn't that strong, but I'm going to push audiences to go watch something that may make them feel uncomfortable. You know, so go ahead and don't see this movie if, if that's what you want to do, because I, I don't mind if, if, if that's what you want to do. So I would recommend to people try to check this out if what we said doesn't bother them necessarily. And, you know, just look for the themes, look for the character details, because that's what matters. That's what I got out of this movie. And the main murder mystery just doesn't matter, you know? I, and that is kind of lazy for, to say, but it is. It's, that's just the way Fincher made the movie. It also got, has like one of the best dang opening credit sequences of all time with the great music by Trent Reznor, who really wasn't here as much as he was at the social network, but still made, I thought, some really effective music. So yeah, I think this movie succeeded very well in what it set out to do. It, it's so unique in structure. I just got to give it a recommend. So I love this movie. And if 
if everyone thought like I did, I'd get a strong, strong recommend. But you know what? That's not how everybody thinks. So and that's fine. So I'm gonna give this just a solid recommend. If people should go adventure and check it out. Very similar to what I did in 2001, where not everyone's gonna enjoy it, but I think you should venture out and try to see this movie, even if it may not be what you would normally watch on a Friday or Saturday night. I like, I really like the point you made about the mystery not really being the main focus and, you know, Fincher not really putting a whole lot of effort into making it interesting because I agree and I get what that does for the mm -hmm. movie. And I, I see how that brings that atmosphere of almost like emptiness to the film in a good way, like in, in a way that I understood. But at the same time, the trade-off is that we don't get as much time with Elizabeth. And that's, yeah. I think, what, uh, what would have pushed this movie more into, like, that's the part of the movie that I really enjoyed. Her mm -hmm. performance and her character, like you said, I really enjoyed throughout the movie. So if we had had more time with her, yeah. then it would have been great. But, and an, I don't know, I feel like if we had had a little bit less of the mystery, but enough to give us that empty, like this mystery doesn't really matter, but it is here. It's, you know, mm -hmm. just kind of a, a an engine for the, the characters. Um, I think that would have pushed it a little further up in my estimation. But yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with your points and I definitely see what you're saying about it. Yeah, and I also say like, I think I enjoy the mystery plenty once Lizbeth and Mikhail meet. Like that's like the mystery works. I want to see what happens. So I think it is probably, I think I'm just going to say the fundamental flaw of this movie that they don't meet sooner is at the halfway point. I think that might be a mistake. I think because everything is more interesting when Lizbeth is on screen. And while I do think Craig does a, a solid job here, I mean, it's no fault to him that these scenes are that interesting. He does a, a, a fine job, but Lizbeth is the most interesting character in this movie and in the best performance. And that's who we all want to see. I think even people who don't, who won't even enjoy this movie they're still gonna like respect this character i think in some way and they're the she's gonna be the character people are gonna want to see the most so i do think that she should have been brought in quicker and maybe some of the more enjoyment value for you patrick would have been brought up a bit because i think that she always brings in the enjoyment side of the movie unless she's getting raped by the social worker other than that right. i'm enjoying the movie <laughs> so yeah i think what we're saying here is many, in many ways the same thing. I just think, Patrick, you were more bothered by the, the mystery not mattering as much. And I think definitely for me as well, the disturbing moments of this movie are disturbing beyond belief. And that definitely has tempered, I think. I think, where are you coming? Are you coming on like a week not, or a week recommend? Is that what we're gonna say here? I'm coming on a recommend kind of like you. I just, mm -hmm. I wish it could be a strong recommend, but- yeah my reasons for wanting it to be a strong recommend, I think are different than yours. You're saying it would be a strong recommend if everyone that was listening was okay with like all of the, you know, elements that we talked about that, you know, um, and I'm coming more from the perspective of, it could be a strong recommend if a few things were tweaked and it would have brought, it could have yeah. elevated the whole movie really quickly and to a much I higher agree. place. Yeah, I, I think you're, I think you're right. Yeah, and let me also go say at the end of this series, we're gonna do a Fincher retrospective or a Fincher <laughs> a Fincher ranking list. We're gonna rank. We're, we're gonna going rank, backwards this time. <laughs> we're gonna it's rank this tenant. <laughs> we're gonna rank this movie. I'm not going to 
keep my recommends in order. I'm just going to go off of what I personally think. And so in that way, this is going to be, and I think probably a upper tier area because that I'm just going right. to put recommends aside. And in that way, if I put a recommend aside, this is a strong, strong movie for me because I just enjoy so much about it and the, its character writing and its detail or detail. Uh, I, I think it, I, I like that. That's such a fancy way to say it, but anyway. Um, so that isn't going to filter it. My recommends aren't going to filter into, into this, uh, into my rank, into the ranking, because it, for yeah, me, it's I just, agree. it's a different thing. It's, it's a different beast of its own. And, you know, we didn't put Catwoman in our, uh, uh, in our Batman rankings, but if we did, <laughs> I would probably put that above, like, you know, maybe the Dark Knight Rises. I enjoyed the Catwoman a little more than Dark Knight Rises. That's just me. You know, but I think Calvin's a guilty pleasure. So there you go. But anyway, yeah, it's it's just going to be a little different on our ranking list. So I may be giving this a recommend with a caveat. I'm just going to be really, this will be up more than what a normal small recommend would be in a normal ranking list. So it is going to be a little different when we rank these, but that, that'll be that'll be a cool day when we, when we rank these because I think that it'll be interesting to reflect on some of these, particularly Alien 3 and, you know, Panic Room and Curious Case of Benjamin Button, some of the weird ones, how we're going to sort those out, I don't know, but anyway, um, yeah, okay, so I think weak recommend from Patrick, more of a, a solid recommend for me, but both with the caveat that this movie is definitely going to get under your skin in ways you may not want. So with that, if what we've said sounds interesting to you, if you've liked what we've said about Elizabeth and, and the themes of this movie, then definitely check this out. Like if, if that sounds good to you, then I think you'll 100% enjoy this movie. Just see the, see the trailer. I've got to say like the trailer for this movie is awesome. One of my favorite trailers as well. It, it's got the, uh, the immigrant song with Trent Reznor and Karen O. And it's really, really effective. I recommend people just check that out. That also fits in very much with the, the environment and atmosphere this movie's going to have. So if you felt like that looks like something you're going to want to see, go for it. Um, so there you go. I'm, I think we're both, we both liked the movie, but we're lowering our recommends with a caveat because of how disturbing it is. So there you go. Woo! Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, ladies and gentlemen. And um, Patrick, do you want to talk about also, my- I didn't feel the runtime, really. It, nope, it, we didn't really I, talk about it. It's, it's very long, but I didn't mind at all. Yeah, I didn't feel you. I felt Benjamin Button's runtime more than I did, um, than I did this mm. one. Yeah, I'll go with that. Yeah, Benjamin Button was long, Patrick. <laughs> long, long <laughs> movie. Actually, that might be the longest Fincher movie. I'm not sure. Um, but anyway, Patrick, do you want to talk about Mindhunter right now? Or do you want to talk about Mindhunter next week with Gone Girl? Let's, uh, can we put it on our ranking? And then I'll talk about it then. Boom. All right, yeah, we will put Mindhunter in our ranking list. And you know what? I would throw House of Cards in. Just to throw the pot up a little okay. bit. Yeah, I know you don't have to see House of Cards, but I think that's one that might be worth talking about. So that'll be cool. Um, so with that being said, Patrick, what are you hoping to see soon? Um, I'm hoping to see a woman under the influence. Heard good mm. things about that. And the killing of a Chinese bookie. Um, just because <laughs> it, it's weird, but there was this one shot that was like compared to a shot from Inherent Vice on a YouTube video. And now I like really want to see this movie. I'd never heard of it. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to watch that. And 
Um, I don't know. I honestly need some recommendations. Ooh. Just because okay. I can't really find stuff on streaming services that really is interesting mm-hmm. me right now. But um, hey, <laughs> listeners, if you got recommendations for yes, me, let me know. know. I only have two movies for my five. So that's right. really pitiful. I need I need help, people. <laughs> we need some recommendations. Noah, after we get off air, I want recommendations. Okay, you got it. So for me, not much happening on my end i've really just been going through better call Saul. Vince gilligan's really been eating up my my, my normal my movie watching time but i'm gonna put in mm-hmm. the martian directed by excuse me directed by ridley scott i've heard uh yield tyson said it was the most accurate sci-fi movie so that's kind of cool and then also i think that, that ridley scott going at it with sci-fi again would be cool and also i really like that damon so I'm going to put that one up there. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I've been in the Spielberg mood recently, and I would really like to see that one just because it's him going back to his roots with, you know, just sci-fi, more fun films. I, my younger brother turned on BFG, and um, yikes. Boy, that is bad, real bad. But uh, yeah, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Schindler's List, another Spielberg film. I'm going to put that on there. I really would like to see that one sometime soon. I'm going to put Brazil as well, directed by Terry Gilliam. You've recommended that one countless times to me. So I'm going to put that in there as well. And number five, I'm just going to say I'm going to continue going through the Oscar films, even though I keep saying that and I've still not seen another Oscar-nominated film. Promising and Woman's definitely the one I'd like to see next because that sounds the most interesting most most fun to me. No, Madeline, I turned that on for a minute and it just did not grab me like I wanted it to. So that I, I, I'm having a hard time returning to that one, but you know, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. So I'm going to have to watch some of those too. So that'll take up my last three. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. So, it's a cheat. <laughs> but next week, Patrick, we're talking about Gone Girl. And this is a big one. The highest grossing david fincher film um one of probably with the most iconic ones i think he's had and um that's that'll be a really cool one to talk about this will be my second time seeing it i don't know about you but uh, i'm ready my second time also all right awesome so that'll be what we will be back with next week and uh that'll be a really exciting episode because i think there's a lot to unpack with that movie and then after that we'll have Mank, and then we're done. Wow, I, I can't wow. believe it. I can't believe it. We're almost there. I, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. But I'll, I'll have to say this hasn't been such a such a long road. Even though we've had some dreary ones like uh, maybe Panic Room, Benjamin Button, Alien Three, even Alien Three. I just loved ripping that movie apart. Benjamin, yeah, I've enjoyed all of them honestly. Yeah, Benjamin Button and Panic Room. That was just like mediocre, but you know, <laughs> just the pinnacle mediocre. But other than that, we've had some really strong ones. We've had seven, we've had Fight Club. So this, the, I think, continuing is wrapping it up with when we do make, we'll also do our our David Fincher tier list or whatever. So that'll be cool as well. And with that being said, you can email us at moviemaniacs2020 at gmail.com. Patrick needs movie recommendations, people. So get on it. And if you 
if you've seen Girl of the Dragon Tattoo, let us know what you think of it because I would like to know what the, what the other masters of people who have seen this movie think about it. Just besides, you know, Box Office Mojo and IMDb telling me this movie did do well, I do know that critics liked it. But you know, what do what do the fans think? You know, what do the the common man? What do they think? You know, so I would love to know what you guys think of this movie, and we'll be. You can also give us a five star rate and Apple Podcasts helps the show. That being said, we'll be back with Gone Girl, and then after that, we'll be we'll be only one movie away from finishing off our Finch retrospective. So, Patrick, thank you for joining me. This has been a great episode, and we'll be back with Gone Girl. <laughs>